Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Delighted uh, to get to spend another hour with you. Thank you for spending the hour with us. Carlo's back, and we'll continue with the discussion we were having. Uh, you can call and ask about any obstacle you've got facing you as far as the full practice of the Catholic faith. Is there something about the Catholic faith that is is just sticking in the craw, doesn't make sense, or you can't get past it? Uh, we've had wonderful calls on marriage issues. We've had great calls on Mary, on Pope Francis. And is there an obstacle uh, that you'd like to talk with Carlo about? Uh, sometimes it's very helpful, and you can work through them, and sometimes these obstacles seem like they cannot be overcome. Uh, but some conversation, and they become more manageable and maybe can be overcome. So uh, we'd love to talk with you, whether you're Catholic or not. Maybe you're uh, not a Catholic, and you just look at the Catholic Church and go, how can they believe this? And that could be anything from belief in God all the way to the very specific beliefs of a, a particular Marian doctrine or the doctrine of purgatory or something like that. Or maybe you're a Catholic. And you say to yourself, you know, I am a Catholic, but this one bugs me, and I need some help uh, getting past uh, my, my struggle with it. 888-318-7884. Carlo, thanks for coming back. Saad, thanks for having me back. I really enjoyed buddy. that first hour. I yeah, liked the it was calls. great. A, a nice mix of different uh, calls. Had some good conversations. So, uh, Looking forward to some more for the second hour here. Let's do it. We'll go to Lucy in Nebraska to start. Uh, and if you're listening in Nebraska... Like Lucy, you're probably listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Uh, Lucy, we're glad you're here. Uh, what obstacle have you got for Carlo? Um, well, I'm a young Catholic, and I've really struggled with um, kind of worship in a Catholic church. I went to Steubenville last summer, and it was amazing. It just seemed very Protestant, and I, I loved that, but I can't find that here without going to a Protestant church. So that's been one of my struggles. Um, is there any, uh, like, charismatic? Because uh, is kind of known as charismatic. I'm just curious. Where you are, is there any of that charismatic uh, community? Not really. Our um, youth group is really struggling at the moment, and I'm actually okay. switching to a Protestant one soon. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> well Carla, what do you got for him? Well, Lucy, I, I, I recognize that uh, your spirituality lends itself more toward maybe a high praise and worship type of uh, spirituality yeah. that's more on the charismatic side. And it is true that sometimes you don't get that need met within the liturgy itself in some church parishes, mm -hmm. and there's debate as to whether that should be present there or not. So let me yeah. just say this. Do not stop going to Mass, right? because you need our Lord in the Eucharist yeah. and to worship our Lord yeah. in the most holy sacrifice of the Mass. Okay, so we have a need. You have a need for high praise and worship and charismatic type mm -hmm. stuff. So mm -hmm. my first thought would be, if you can't find a parish community that has like a young adult ministry or youth ministry that has praise and worship, it would be okay to attend like a Protestant community where they do praise and worship and stuff like for a youth night, as long yeah. as you remember to remain solid in your faith and recognize yeah. that they may say some things that are in conflict with the Catholic faith and you need to be able to mm -hmm. s decipher that and recognize mm -hmm. that. Uh, but it yeah. may also be that it's just general enough to where there's not going to be that sort of conflict to where you can praise and worship our Lord in that setting and have that need met. So that would be one thought, like it's okay if that's available and that's all you got, okay? But here's a second thought, Lucy. Okay. I wonder if you could go around asking in parish communities 
And asking on a one-on-one basis, like asking people face-to-face, hey, do you know of anybody that does praise and worship nights? Because although, Lucy, the parish might not have a praise and worship night, parish a parish-sponsored praise and worship night, mm-hmm. there might be some group kind of under the radar that has their own praise and worship night in a home or something, like a prayer meeting that you just yeah. don't know about but might be there in a Catholic community somewhere in the surrounding areas where you live. Like, for example, I know. yeah, I, I know growing up when I, was a, when I was a youngster, when I started coming to the faith and loving the Lord and being convicted in the faith at 17 and a half, close to 18, as a young Catholic, I used to go to the prayer meetings with my mom, and my mom still, every, like once a month, they still go to their prayer meetings where they praise and worship and and, and, and worship the Lord in that way to meet their spiritual needs there. And so I had that opportunity. I was blessed with that. And it was always in a home. We just went to my mom's friend's house. You know, I think they would do it almost every Saturday, praise and worship meetings. So you might just start asking people on a one-on-one basis and see if you can find something. So those would be my two thoughts and recommendations for your situation. Okay. Thank you. Oh. Um, and I did have one other question. Okay. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm very strong in my faith, and I've, Good. thanks to you guys, actually, I've Beautiful. been listening since I was, like, 12. Um, but I've always struggled with my relationship with Mary. Like, okay. I understand that she's, like, Jesus' mother, and I respect her, and I love her for that. But every time I, like, try to, get, like, deepen my relationship with mm-hmm, her, mm-hmm. I just always feel so hesitant because I don't want it to turn into idolatry. So ah, yeah. That's something I've struggled with. Well, <laughs> okay. she doesn't either. Yeah, she so. <laughs> beautifully put, Cy. Okay. Lucy, Mary does not want you to worship her either. So I guarantee you, if you establish a relationship with her, she's going to be praying for you, that it be healthy, right? But just remember this, Lucy, she's your mama, right? She's our yeah. mama. She's our <laughs> spiritual mother. Look, I have a mom, and I love her to death. But just because I recognize her as my mom and I love her deeply as my mom, that doesn't lead me to worship her. So too with Mary. She's our spiritual mother. So I think perhaps, Lucy, if you approach the relationship with Mary as she is, as our spiritual mother, as our queen mother, she's the queen mother of the Davidic, of Jesus's kingdom here on earth, the Catholic Church. And so if you approach her, and the relationship with her through that lens, perhaps that may help you. Just like you have a relationship with your mom, you can establish a relationship with your heavenly mother, Mary. And remember, in Revelation 12, 17, John tells us, Lucy, that Our Lady, the woman clothed with the sun, the crown of stars upon her head, and the moon underneath her feet, she has offspring, John says. And her offspring are those who keep the commandments of Jesus and bear testimony to him. That's us, Christians. So Mary is indeed our queen mother, and we can approach her in that way. So to be honest, like, just to be frank, in my spiritual life, with in my relationship with Mary, I'm constantly like, Mama, help, right? Calling on Mama inside can attest to this. Before the radio, every time he we come on. He actually says, Mama, help. Mama, help, right. <laughs> and, 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 and that may help you, Lucy, to quell those fears of it leading to idolatry because it's okay and i want to just share this one last thought with you it's okay to 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 be aware of that because there are some within catholic circles who 
very well may fall into idolatry and falsely, wrongly honoring Mary, honoring her in a wrong way. And it's okay to not want to fall into that. But I promise you, Lucy, if you're staying in a close relationship with Our Lady and you're asking her to pray for you, wrap, just ask her, Mama, wrap me in your mantle of love. Keep me close to your immaculate heart and consecrate me to the sacred heart of Jesus through whom we have access to God the Father. If you say that prayer and ask Mary to pray for you that the Holy Spirit be with you, I promise you, Lucy, you're not going to be worshiping her as a goddess. You're going to be relating to her as she is your spiritual mama. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. What a great privilege to get to talk with you. Amen. Uh, thanks very, very much. Uh, it's break time, so we'll take a break. We'll be right back with more of your obstacles towards the full embrace of the Catholic faith with Carla Broussard right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Stay with us for more Catholic Answers Live. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Magnificat. Published monthly, Magnificat features daily mass, prayers, articles, and meditations in step with the liturgical rhythm of the church on the web at magnificat.com. EWTN, teaching the truth. I had called in, I think, a month or so ago, and I had told you guys I was in my RCIA program, and I had wondered about what I could do more to get more involved with the church and such. Well, Saturday, I am finally having my confirmation, and I wanted to thank you guys for giving me all the information and having your program on here that has helped me so much. I cannot tell you enough how much it has helped me. Bienvenidos back to Catholic Answers Live. I am Cy Kelly, your host. Carla Broussard here is our guest. Uh, I do want to say again, Carla's got a great new podcast called The Sunday Catholic Word. Want to get ready for uh, the Sunday readings and uh, get some of your apologetics chops uh, practiced a bit as well? Check out Sunday Catholic Word. It drops each Friday. Just go to sundaycatholicword.com. It's that easy. sundaycatholicword.com. Check it out each Friday. Uh, get ready for the Sunday readings. And I, I must say myself, I find it very helpful uh, to be prepared for the Sunday readings. It's, it's just there's a way in which if, you're, if you've prepared, if you've listened to someone like Carlo uh, unpacking what's, uh, what's to be read and giving you these, what Carlo gives you, these apologetics insights into it, you really are uh, much more uh, receptive at a high level of uh, when the readings are read on Sunday. So check it out, Sunday CatholicWord.com. Going to New York now. Myron in New York, listening on 98.7 FM. Myron, thank you for your call. What obstacle you got you want to share with Carlo? Yeah, I got a big obstacle, and that is um, how do all these high-profile so-called Catholics in the, in the political realm and some very high, as high as you can get, not get excommunicated? Well, Myron... The question, the answer to that question is, I don't know. I don't know why the Pope or bishops do not take further action to excommunicate high-profile politicians who are blatantly opposing church teaching. We can, we're only left to speculate. Now, initially, I will sympathize with many people, Myron, to experience an initial frustration, perhaps like, gosh, darn, something needs to be done here, right? <laughs> like you kind of intuitively and initially want something to be done, 
And at the same time, Myron, I think we have to recognize to take a charitable approach and recognize that I cannot judge that the Pope and these bishops are not doing anything. Yes, they're not excommunicating them, but maybe perhaps, I know one bishop in particular who for many years, well, I don't know how many years, but several years, (laughs) was contacting a high-profile politician on a one-on-one basis and saying, hey, you need to get your act together, you need to repent. So from our perspective, it's like, come on, bishop, excommunicate this high-profile politician. It seemed as if nothing was being done, but under the radar, something was being done. And so if we keep that in mind, Myron and Sai, I think that can help us uh, sort of balance our initial frustration that we might have with apparent lack of things being done and recognize that there may be things being done under the radar. And we pray for the Pope and we pray for our bishops that they can discern in prudence with the counsel of the Holy Spirit of the right timing to actually take public action against these high-profile politicians. Because I do sympathize with the idea that in some cases there is a need for very strong statements and actions to be taken with regard to high-profile politicians lest others be led astray because I'm all about protecting the mind and thus protecting the heart. And I think in some cases a high-profile politician who's going blatantly and obstinately against Catholic teaching indeed can lead people astray and lead them into falsehood and thinking that this stuff is okay to believe when it's contrary to the church's teaching. And so I I sympathize with that idea that maybe in some cases bishops and the pope in particular may need to take more explicit action, but at the same time I'm willing to carve out that space of to approach it with a sense of charity to recognize, you know, I can't make any judgments as to whether they are that they are not doing anything, because they may very well be doing something, and I'm just not privy to that knowledge. Myron, I think your concern is shared by many, many people, so if you, if you have a follow-up question, I'd be happy to let, uh, let you give it to Carlo. Well, all I wanted to say was that I, I look at, Be- at Beckett as being our standard for, for that type of behavior, and yeah. he really dealt with it. And, and the guy he excommunicated was really, compared to the uh, high high-profile Catholics that are pro-abortion and all that other stuff, he was, uh, that that guy he excommunicated was just a knight. He was just a right. bum compared to these guys. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm looking, and I'm going, wow, man. I think the uh, Church would agree with you that uh, Thomas Beckett is... Uh, is the example. <laughs> I mean, also, yeah, and, and, the other Thomas, and English Thomas, Thomas More, often given to us as yeah, the example. Yeah, and we recognize that that is a legitimate path that a bishop can take, and the Pope in particular. That's a legitimate path. But it doesn't follow from that that a bishop or a Pope must take that path. You see, there's a distinction between the two. So prudence has to be involved here. And of course, we as Catholics can go back and forth as to whether we think it is more prudent not to take that path or more prudent to take that path. And there are many Catholic voices out there online and within the Catholic sphere who present arguments that right now is the time and the most prudent thing to do is to take that path of excommunication. But however... There are legitimate competing Catholic voices out there who put forth their argumentation and lines of reasoning that is not the most prudent thing. And so 
I recognize that there's back and forth on that. And I think we just have to take it on a case-by-case basis and always temper our initial emotions with charity and recognize that these bishops, they have a lot on their plate, and they may very well be doing things beyond what we can perceive. So lest we be judgmental and come to rash judgments for which we will be held accountable, uh, I think we need to uh, exercise caution. That's all I say. Uh, Myron, thank you very much, uh, especially with the, you, you spoke quite—clearly uh, you have a passion for it, but you spoke uh, in a quite measured way, and it's always very helpful when you Amen. do that. Thank you very much uh, for the call, and uh, I'm going to keep moving to more uh, obst- obstacles—I was going to say objections, but more obstacles uh, that uh, folks have in the way of the full practice of the Catholic faith. If you have an obstacle in uh, front of you that you'd like to talk about with Carlo, give us a call. Whether you're Catholic or not, 888-318-7884. We'll go to Donna Donna in uh, Kansas, listening on Mercy Radio. Donna, thank you so much for your call. Uh, Want to go ahead and share your, uh, uh, your obstacle with Carlo? I have actually two obstacles, um, because I believe that the host is the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, and I kneel to receive communion mm-hmm. and do it by mouth, and my priest does not like that. Mm. And the second obstacle is um, adoration. Right. A lay person gets the monstrance out. Mm-hmm. The altar boy puts it on the altar. The priest puts the host in, but as soon as Mass is over, he leaves, and whoever's left um, after Mass can put it back in the tabernacle. Right. Okay. So, Donna, with regard to the second question of exposing our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament in the Monstrance, and even reposing of, like, putting our Lord back into the tabernacle, that's something that the Church does permit a lay person to do when an appointed layperson whenever there is a need that arises. So should there be no priest or deacon, right, there can be an authorized extraordinary minister to perform what the Church calls simple reposition, reposition, reposition of the Eucharist once um, uh, the adoration, the time of adoration has been completed. So, for example, you could look at the 1973 document, Eucharistia Sacramentum, of the Congregation for Divine Worship, numbers 91 through 92. And you can just listen to the archived podcast for the radio show and Google that, and you'll discover that that document gives that instruction, that permission for a layperson to do that simple reposition, reposition. Help me out there. Reposition, reposition, exposition and reposition. Oh, to repose it. Repose it. Yeah, I don't know why. It's it's messing me up right now. I suppose reposition would be the word. Yeah, yeah, okay. To repose it. So the point being is that a lay minister, a lay person can do that. Now, with regard to your first question, Donna, about receiving uh, on the tongue, correct? Is that what you were saying? Receiving on the tongue or receiving on the tongue and kneeling? Both. Both, okay. So the general instruction of the Roman Missal in section 161 states the communicant receives the sacrament either on the tongue or where this is allowed, and if the communicant so chooses, in the hand. So that's with regard to the tongue issue. So you do have the option to receive on the tongue or in the hand. And a pastor should not 
be in opposition or forbid you to receive Holy Communion if you present yourself to receive on the tongue. With regard to kneeling, the church does allow for the communicant to kneel and that a pastor or an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion should not withhold Holy Communion from a communicant who decides to kneel. But the church does give direction to the pastor that if in that community the norm is to receive standing up, the pastor does have the prerogative and the authority to take a communicant aside in private, explain to them the protocol of that particular community, and ask that the communicant receive standing up in unison with the whole community. The community. Now, Catholics can go back and forth and disagree whether that's the best way to do things or not, but that is the church's directive on that issue. If you personally, Donna, feel the need to be kneeling at Holy Communion, I would recommend that you find a parish that would be more open uh, to you receiving Holy Communion on the tongue and kneeling, whether that's at a communion rail kneeling or just kneeling as you go up to the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion or the priest or deacon to receive Holy Communion. So that's what I would say to that. Can I ask another question here? Go ahead. Go ahead, Donna. If the priest lives at the parish, right next to the church, and has a walkway, a priest is available to do that. Hmm. To to well, expose and, and repose? Just, yeah. Yeah. He, he may be. I mean, they, priests have to make sick calls. they got to do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to bet on a, a priest. I mean, I'm sure there are just lazy priests in the world, but there's, I mean, it's astonishing that if somebody's dying yeah. in the hospital, they got to just get up and go to the hospital, and they yeah. do it. Yeah, so Donna, I think Sai is spot on there. It may very well be that a particular priest is lazy. He just doesn't want to do anything, and God's going to hold him accountable for that. That's God's problem. That's not your problem. That's not my problem, Donna. Uh, just be careful in making rash judgments. Even though he lives just right across the street, as Sai is pointing out, it may very well be that, practically speaking, he's unable to come over and either expose our Lord or repose our Lord. Uh, so just keep that in mind. You don't want to fall into rash judgment there. And if you have good enough, sufficient reason to think that the priest is just being lazy, I would recommend that you do some reparation for him, do some penitential action during the season of Lent, and pray for him. Uh, Donna, thank you very, very much. Appreciate those uh, those uh, call those questions, that, that call, and uh, I hope it was helpful to you. I do want to get to, uh, before we have to go to the break, to Giovanni in Tulsa, Oklahoma, listening on the Catholic Answers Live app. Uh, Giovanni, thanks for downloading the app onto your phone. Uh, what's your obstacle to share with Carlo? Uh, yeah, hello. Hello, Giovanni. Oh, uh, uh, I'm 16 years old, and I've always been, uh, like, a Catholic or whatever, but uh, recently, I guess, I started, like, uh, questioning the faith. Okay. And um, so I sort of have, like, two objections, um, or two doubts, I guess. Yeah. One thing uh, is, um, 
like if we're living in the the, the matrix or something like that. Like, I know it sounds stupid, but some people actually mm-hmm. take something like that seriously. Let me like, just sure. say something about it sounding kind stupid, of- Giovanni. Before you go on, there are uh, very well paid philosophers at major universities <laughs> who would tell you we're living in a simulation. Uh, Nick Bostrom, uh, most notably. So I don't think that's a stupid one at all. Let's get your other one. Oh yeah, and this other one, um, it, it was like it was a video, but it kind of, kind of scared me. It was um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called the egg. Uh, I have not, but I think Carlos is. Has. Is that the two thousand nine short story? Yeah, yeah, it, it really freaked me out. Like, okay, like, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. But those are like been two obstacles for me, cause like. And then it's because the comments were like, well, you can't disprove it. Just like, like, you can't prove Christianity is true. And that sort of got me to question the faith, really. Okay. All right. So you brought up a third option there with regard to you can't, the claim that you can't prove Christianity is true. So let, let me just say, make one quick comment with regard to that. I would simply respond with an assertion, yes, you can. And there is mm-hmm. plenty of research, Giovanni, to, Giovanni and apologetical literature that has done precisely that. And the way in which they do it is by looking to history called historiographical research, looking at the ancient Christian documents, determining whether they're historically reliable or not, coming down on the side that they are for a variety of reasons that go beyond what we can get into in this broadcast. Oh, I hear the music. Giovanni, we got a hard break here, so please, if you don't mind, stay on the line, and on the other side of the break, we'll come back to you and we'll have a conversation, okay? I'm really looking forward to this conversation uh, continuing, Giovanni, so please do hang on. Uh, Carla Roussard is our guest. If you got obstacles to the Catholic faith, give us a call, 888-318-7884. If you're not a Bible scholar, the full message of how the Sunday Mass readings fit together can be tough to comprehend. Apologist Carlo Broussard is here to help. Join Carlo every Friday for the Sunday Catholic Word podcast. In each episode, he unpacks the scripture readings for that Sunday and brings them all together so you can better understand and defend the faith. Visit SundayCatholicWord.com to subscribe. That's SundayCatholicWord.com. Want to know more about the origins of the Catholic Church? Joe Heschmeyer explores the beginnings of Christianity in The Early Church Was the Catholic Church. Joe digs deep into the words and actions of those who lived right after the apostles to refute anti-Catholic claims of how the faith was lived back then. Order your copy of The Early Church Was the Catholic Church today at shop.catholic.com or get it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. What if the voice of your deepest doubts about Catholicism rose up in the form of a human being and challenged you to defend your most foundational beliefs? That's the task apologist Trent Horn took upon himself in his new book, Devil's Advocate, a dialogue with his own best objections against the faith that he professes and defends. You can stand up against your doubts, and Trent will show you how. Pick up your copy of Devil's Advocate today at shop.catholic.com or at a good Catholic bookstore near you. As a child, the great theologian Thomas Aquinas asked, What is God? Best-selling author Kevin Vost's new book follows the mature thought of Aquinas in answering that question. 
In clear and approachable fashion, What is God examines God's attributes and considers questions about Him that have vexed mankind for centuries. Order your copy of What is God today at shop.catholic.com or ask for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Tomorrow on More to Life, lend me your ears. Feeling ignored will help you be heard. That's tomorrow on More to Life. Now back to Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. I am Cy Kellett, your host, Carlo Broussard in studio, uh, taking your questions. If you have an obstacle to the Catholic faith, that's what we're dealing with this hour. Overcoming obstacles to Catholicism, you're welcome to give us a call if you got one, 888-318-7884. On the line uh, with us, uh, Giovanni from Tulsa, Oklahoma, with some, uh, has started uh, questioning the faith. I believe Giovanni told us that he's uh, 16 years old. Absolutely. And so uh, a perfectly uh, natural, normal, and welcome thing to have questions, uh, Giovanni, and we're glad that you've entrusted them to us. Three of them that I have identified, uh, uh, That uh, and you, Giovanni, please correct me if I get any of these wrong. Uh, the, the first one being, uh, can you prove uh, Christianity? Uh, the second one being, is it possible that we're just living in, in the matrix, which would undermine our whole sense of reality? Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. uh, have you heard about the egg theory, and is it yeah. possible that egg theory is correct? Did I get them all right, Giovanni? Yeah, but with the—yeah, I mean, yeah, you did. But with the second one, it's like—it's not sort of Nick Bostrom's, like, if we're all programmed, it's— um. Like, uh, if this is just virtual reality, you know? Right. I gotcha. Okay, very good. Very good. That's a good, uh, very helpful distinction. Yeah, so one thing, Giovanni, is uh, with regard to whether we're not whether or not we're living in virtual reality or simulation, I would highly recommend you go on our website at catholic.com and just type in matrix or simulation. And there's a Catholic Answers Focus yeah, we did with, I think it was, that you did with Pat Flynn. Okay. And the title is, Are We Living in a Simulation? And Pat Flynn is a good friend of mine. He's does a, he does a lot of work, got a, has a great philosoph- a podcast on philosophy, and does a lot of work in that area. And so I would highly recommend you check out that Focus episode, Giovanni. And there are many reasons, answers that we could give in response, but I think one uh, a, a response or counter-argument to the simulation theory is that it's subversive of itself. So if the skeptic, Giovanni, is correct in that what we are living in is a simulation or the matrix, then it's possible that the soundness of the skeptic's argument itself is yet another illusion generated by whatever being that is putting us in the matrix. And so one of the problems is that it undermines rationality in all thought itself, including the very argument that we are living in a simulation. And so it's subversive of itself. Uh, That's kind of one nail in the coffin, in my view, that why we should not take the theory let me retract that, why we should not believe the theory. And I think also just initially, Giovanni, to sort of quell the fears, 
Just because, let's just say for argument's sake, it is logically possible that we're being deceived by some power and we're in a matrix. I think from an Aristotelian to mystic point of view, Sai, from the tradition of Aristotle and Thomism and what a human being is and what the church teaches a human being is, I don't even think it's possible. Like it's not metaphysically possible no, I for us to be deceived like that. Yes. But let's just grant for argument's sake. Giovanni, logical possibility does not entail plausibility. And so the question becomes, is it plausible to think that we're in a simulation? Well, I, many philosophers will say, no, it's not plausible. So we don't need to really worry ourselves with it. But if we're stuck worrying about it, there are ways in which we can refute the simulation theory and show how it logically leads to absurdities. And again, I would recommend the Catholic Answers Focus episode with Pat Flynn on that. Concerning uh, the egg, the short story, the egg, now... I haven't read it, Giovanni. I don't know a lot about it. I just kind of have a vague awareness that it makes the claim that we ourselves can become God. So the universe was created as an egg, and that's like the main character for all of humanity. And once you have lived your life, every human life ever, you'll be born as a God. That's kind of my vague general understanding of it. In order to respond to that, Giovanni, that requires some philosophical legwork where we're just going to go through traditional philosophical reasoning as to what we mean by God as the supreme creator of all that is not created by anything other than itself. Whenever we go through that, the that philosophical reasoning, we come to the conclusion, Giovanni, that such a reality, such a being, is immaterial. And given that we are material beings, it follows that it is impossible for us as material beings to become God, especially given the fact that we're finite beings, limited in our reality, limited in our power, not being able to bridge that gap to the infinite. Now, that's a claim that requires some justification, but it can be done. So I would recommend, Sai, maybe we can send Giovanni a copy of my book, Prepare the Way. In that book, I have a few chapters, Giovanni, that deals with God and showing that he exists. And whenever we show that he exists, we're able to uh, extract certain attributes of God. And so you might want to check that out. Also at Catholic.com, I've written some articles on God's existence and God's nature. One in particular that comes to mind is dealing with the idea of all of us being divine. It was directly uh, directed at yoga are certain spiritualities and philosophies associated with yoga and showing why God is immaterial as classically and traditionally understood. And so you might want to type in that at catholic.com yoga, and you'll find my article in that. And finally, the last point of proving Christianity, I was talking about this before the break. Giovanni, apologists have done great work in showing the historicity of the early Christian documents we call the Gospels and the New Testament epistles. And from that, being able to conclude that the sayings and deeds of Jesus are historically reliable, and therefore extract from that the line of reasoning that Jesus rose from the dead and thus vindicated his claims to be God. And that provides for us a historical foundation for us to make an ascent of faith in Jesus as God made flesh, as our Savior. So I would highly recommend... Uh, for example, the apologist Dr. William Lane Craig, he has an introductory book to this sort of way of thinking in Christian apologetics called On Guard, and the more academic work is called Reasonable Faith. And I'm sure 
uh, Giovanni, if you take a look at those resources, that at least would get you started in the right direction. Now, uh, Giovanni, it's a, a very a grave and serious thing uh, to, to be uh, uh, confronting these questions about the faith, so I do want to invite you to call as many times as you want. It was a lot of questions today. Maybe we'll do one at a time in the future if, uh, if that would work for you. But if you'll hang on, we'll get your address, and we'll send you a, a copy of Prepare the Way, Overcoming Obstacles to God, the Gospel, and the Church. Uh, and then I really do hope we'll continue this uh, conversation, uh, Giovanni, because you have wonderful questions. Uh, it provides us a great opportunity uh, to have great radio conversations, and also uh, because your faith matters, uh, and we'd like to be there to help you as you work your way through these questions. Uh, you guys got Giovanni? Okay, I got him on hold. Thanks, Giovanni. Um, and I hope we do hear from him again. Uh, let's see who we're going to next. We're going to Michael in Rochester, New York, watching on YouTube. Uh, Michael, uh, thank you very much for your call. Go ahead and share your obstacle with Carlo. Yeah, uh, one of the, early, the caller right at the very top of, of this whole segment right, had raised the question of divorce, and it, it raised for me something that often comes up in conversation that I don't understand, which is the relationship between a sacramental marriage and the civil licensing that a state or government might do. In particular, the idea of is civil divorce okay if you maintain a sacramental marriage? My sense is that would be frowned upon, uh, but I, I don't think I understand why. And then the, the question of people who are not Catholic, who have gotten married civilly, and yet we, I think we still, uh, the, the Catholic Church I think still applies a fairly high benchmark to those marriages in terms of needing to get uh, annulments or, or, or the like. Uh, and I'm just hoping I can get some clarification on that whole question of the difference, I guess, separation of church and state to some extent. Yeah, in regard to marriage. Okay. All right. So with regard yeah, to correct. your first question, as I understood you, Michael, you were asking, is it permissible for someone to get the civil bill of divorce while at the same time maintaining fidelity to the bond that it, we believe to be real and thus faithful to the marriage. Is that a fair summary of the first question? Oh, hang on. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I, I, no, I apologize. I went uh, to, to hold for a second. Go ahead. I'm, go ahead. We got you back. Yeah, that was correct. Okay. All right. So uh, the answer to that question is yes, it is permitted in extraordinary circumstances when there is a need, a grave or even a just need for a particular spouse to remove him or herself from the other spouse and living under the same roof, roof due to severe psychological harm or even the threat of physical harm, etc. That is permitted, even in some cases, to get the bill of civil divorce. The Catechism of the Catholic Church deals with this in paragraph 1650, but keep in mind that the Church is very clear that that bill of civil divorce has no bearing on the reality that we assume to be, namely the bond of marriage. So that bill of civil divorce is going to take care of legal matters, but it has no bearing on the sacrament of marriage itself, or even if it's a non-sacramental marriage, the natural bond itself. And consequently, those spouses would be uh, obliged in good conscience to remain faithful to that bond. So that answers the first question. Hopefully that's sufficient for you. Now with regard to the second question, uh, somebody who is not married, no, excuse me, not Catholic. not Catholic, and becomes married, even civilly, 
do we recognize that as a valid marriage? Well, let's back up a little bit. And if, if the question is simply valid, the answer is yes. Because those individuals are not Catholic, they are not bound to what we call canonical form. And so by entering into a marriage without that form, they are not subject to it, and therefore it's not an invalid marriage. So it would be valid. Now, the question as to whether it's a sacrament, that's going to, be de- that's going to depend upon whether the individuals are baptized or not. If they're two, non- if they're two baptized non-Catholic Christians— well, then that's going to be a sacrament, not only a valid marriage, but a sacramental marriage because they're baptized. And the baptism of the spouses is what, is what makes the bond a sacrament. If, they're, if one or both are not baptized, not Catholic, thus not subject to canonical form, and they enter into a marriage, and at least in, in the vows that they're expressing, it's, in, it's embedded in the meaning of those vows of what marriage is, like a union between one man and one woman until death do them part. Well, then it's going to be a valid marriage, and the church is going to recognize that. Consequently, if one of those spouses, if they get a civil divorce and one of those spouses becomes Catholic and says, hey, I think I might want to try to get married, uh, well, then the church is going to have to investigate that prior union to see whether it was valid or not, because we're assuming that it was, because all the conditions apparently, and according to what we can see, seem to have been met. And so the church would have to do an investigation to see whether uh, that person can receive a declaration of nullity. So hopefully that's clear enough in answering your questions there, Michael. Uh, Michael, we got to go to a break, but I want to send you two books, uh, little, uh, little booklets that we have, two 20 Answers books, if you'd like them. Uh, the first one is called 20 Answers, Marriage and Sex, and the other one is called 20 Answers, Divorce and Remarriage, and that maybe give you a little more uh, basis for investigation. Hang on the phone line if you want, and we'll get your address, and we'll send them out to you. We'll be right back with more obstacles to Catholicism right after this on Catholic Answers Live. You're listening to Catholic Answers Live. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations on the web at realestateforlife.org. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com radio slash podcasts today. A lot of people think that street evangelization involves yelling out of a bullhorn telling people that they're going to hell. Not so with St. Paul's Street Evangelization. Our methods are non-confrontational and effective. We simply offer information on the Catholic faith along with rosaries, miraculous medals, and prayer. Pope Francis wrote about how beautiful it is to see street preachers joyfully bringing Jesus to every corner of the earth. Street evangelization is fun and fruitful. Join us today at streetevangelization.com. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Still calls on the line, overcoming obstacles to Catholicism. And uh, Carl's been doing such a good job that I just keep making him work. And I forgot that I was supposed to talk about uh, where he's going to be 
uh, speaking next. And I apologize for that, Carla. No problem. It's just like work, work, work. Yes, sir. So tell us about what's coming up. Yes. So March 3rd and 4th, I'm going to be at St. Pius X Parish Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, giving some talks there. On March 3rd, I'll be talking on sexual ethics. So the title of my presentation there is Sexual Sanity, A Voice of Reason in a Sex-Crazed Culture. Basically, given well, you got the word "sex" in as many times as you could in that title, didn't you? <laughs> I guess so, well, you're right? looking for a big crowd, Carlo. Nice work. So basically, I, I give the philosophical approach to the church's teaching and defense of human sexuality, and then on March 4th during the day, I'll be talking about relativism, and then that evening, a general talk on apologetics for an age of unbelief with which includes some stuff about relativism, but goes beyond it concerning skepticism with regard to Christianity and scientism, like science alone gives us knowledge of reality. How can we use philosophy to know that God exists? And fun stuff like that. Coming up beginning of March at St. Pius X Parish. March 3rd and 4th at St. Pius X Parish in Greensboro, North Carolina. I like those ones where you get to do several talks because yep. you get to visit with people after. Absolutely. You get to know people. Establish new friendships yeah, and really relationships. Fun. It is fun. Uh, except for the one when you get that one guy who doesn't like any of your talks, and you got to hear from him <laughs> after each talk. There's always that guy. Yeah. So if anybody uh, listening out there, Cy, wants to bring me out to their parish to do a parish mission or just give a talk, they can go to CatholicAnswerSpeakers.com. And even, Cy, yeah. even if it's for your first communion, first communion class, second grade first communion class. Yeah, you like talking to them. I right? actually did a three-hour retreat with second graders this past Advent did last you really? year in Louisiana at my mom and dad's parish. The pastor got me to do a, a mission, and I did three hours with second, with graders. second graders, and that was only limited amount of snack and activity time. Let me tell you something. I was one exhausted son of a gun yeah. after that. <laughs> Always <laughs> build in snack time, Carlo. <laughs> Always build in snack time. So uh, even for second grade, second grade first communion class, that's I can great. come and speak. That is really cool. Uh, all right, we got more folks with obstacles uh, between them and the full practice of the Catholic uh, faith. Let's go to St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, where Andrew is watching on YouTube. Andrew, we're very grateful for your call. Go ahead with your uh, question for Carlo. Hey, uh, thank you for responding. Um, so I had a, I think one of the biggest, um, I wouldn't say objections, but um, more of an obstacle for my faith is that um, I, to be honest, if I'm being truly honest with myself, I'm much more of an agnostic these days. Um, okay. I really do try to have faith, but I just cannot bring myself to genuinely believe in the things I do. And I think, I think one of the biggest objections that has really put a fork in the road was believing in the existence of a historical Adam and Eve with what we know about evolution and, you know, uh, descending from a population rather than a single couple. Yeah. I mean, that's that's, that's a whole other can of worms, but I think the biggest thing really is I, I struggle a lot with, like, OCD and uh, anxiety issues, and mm. um, what Catholicism has made really difficult is that the concept of mortal sin and salvation and um, how basically not having faith or even being able to have faith would, you know, put your salvation in jeopardy. And it's gotten to the point where the more I try to have faith and the more I try to pray and the more I try to go to church and confession, et cetera, the more just anxious I get and the more I just overthink it, overthink it and I get basically just more resentful about Catholicism. And it, it's gotten to the point where I've had to go to therapy and stuff. And All when right. I go to church, I just mentally like lose it and like it, it's it's really okay. hard to 
keep doing that and but I'm also concerned about my salvation but at the okay. same time I have so much doubt where I don't know what to do yeah all right so Andrew was it Andrew yeah. is that correct yep okay yeah so Andrew keep in mind brother that as long as you are honestly inquiring but for whatever reason you're falling short of the judgment that this is true know that it's that's that's God's business right because we need that light of grace where God is working on the intellect for the intellect to come to be enlightened and know hey this is true and thus assent to it so for whatever reason in God's providence your honest inquiry is falling short of coming to that conclusion and know brother that there is hope because it may very well be tomorrow or a year from now that God does give you that grace to where your mind is enlightened you come to see the truth and you're like yeah I can I can buy this stuff I can assent to it in the meantime it you there you do not have to be so concerned about your salvation because Andrew the church does teach that our Lord offers the Holy Spirit, our Lord and the Holy Spirit offers to all the possibility of being made partakers in a way known to God alone of the Paschal Mystery, okay? So the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches this in paragraph 1260, every man who is ignorant of the gospel of Christ and of his church, and you could include yourself in that category to some degree. You're falling short of the conclusion that the gospel of Christ and his church is the truth. And here's what the Catechism says, drawing from the Second Vatican Council. But this individual who seeks the truth and does the will of God in accordance with his understanding of it can be saved. It may be supposed that such persons would have desired, it's talking about baptism here explicitly, if they have known its necessity. In your case, it may, where, may very well be that if you did come to that enlightened position in your mind, like, hey, this is the truth, you would accept it. But for some reason right now, Andrew, you're not at that part in the journey of knowledge. And this is the mystery of God's permission of ignorance in this case, right? So you have the permission of suffering and moral evil, but there's also this element of God's hiddenness of permitting our minds to fall short of fully seeing the truth of his revelation and thereby us assenting to it and embracing it. And so know, Andrew, that as long as you are an honest inquirer, right, and you're seeking the truth honestly and with great effort, and you are living in accord with whatever truth you're coming to know, and whatever good you're, you're coming to know about and living in conformity with that truth and goodness, that God will give you the graces that you need for salvation if you are not culpable for not fully embracing the faith. Because only God knows, Andrew, what's going on in your heart and mind and the struggles that you're having right now. So I would just encourage you, brother, bottom line, it is possible for you to be saved even though you're struggling right now. And know that in the end, the struggle, the honest struggle, will be worth it. Because God, as paragraph 1257 of the Catechism says, is not bound by his sacraments. He can give those graces 
even beyond the sacraments. And he can give those graces, Andrew, to people who are not responsible for their misjudgments about the truth of God's revelation. And so I share that with you to ease your heart here, brother, and to encourage you to keep journeying. Do not stop. Continue to honestly inquire. And if God in his providence sees fitting to give you that grace of enlightenment tomorrow or a year from now or two years from now or even at the moment of your death, Andrew, know that God will do so. And hopefully that can help you rest in peace, my friend. Not like... Not like rest in peace. (laughs) I know what Yeah. Rest assured. Andrew, are you still alive? I just want to check on you. Is everything okay, Andrew? Yeah, yep. (laughs) Okay, good. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Very good, Andrew. I I, I hope you'll call again. Thank you very much for that call. I think we can get Pablo in Atlanta, Georgia, listening on the EWTN app on. But Pablo, uh, we are short of time, so be as quick as you can with the question. Um, Okay, thank you. Uh, Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, the question is basically um, the person that I'm trying to respond to, I think it's a set of Vicente's guy, and yeah. he's saying that the our priests are not validly ordained because they were ordained under Novus Ordo, so if yeah. they celebrate Mass, it's not valid. Right. So how could I respond to that guy? Yeah, Pablo, I think fundamentally here it's a lack of trust in the Holy Spirit and a lack of trust in our Lord's promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against this church, because if it is the case that the Novus Ordo Mass, what, you know, the, the, what is traditionally called the ordinary form of the Mass, the Mass of Pope Paul VI, that if that Mass is invalid, well then what you have here is a, an, an official magisterial declaration of a Mass that is invalid, and that would undermine the whole idea of the infallibility of the Pope, which is something that was defined by the First Vatican Council. And so you run into some very serious problems and difficulties with upholding the infallibility of the Pope if you take the path of saying that this particular form of the Mass is invalid and thus consequently the ordination of the priest is invalid, because that would involve a a right of ordination that is invalid, and that, my friend, causes grave difficulties for the infallibility of the Pope, which is a doctrine that even those who don't recognize the current Pope to be the valid Pope must assent to. So I'll leave it at that, but go to Catholic.com, type in Sede Vicantism, and we have some resources there available for you. Uh, Pablo, you did get to that question quickly, and we appreciate it. Thanks very much. Sorry to the two callers we are not able to get to today. Tomorrow, Jimmy will be with us second hour for Open Forum. First hour, uh, we welcome back our good friend Simone Riscala, who is uh, an associate an affiliate uh, apologist here at Catholic Answers, and she's going to be in here in San Diego doing a talk uh, tomorrow night. We're looking forward to that. And also just uh, great to have on the radio. Uh, thank you, Carlo. For thank you, Sal. That two hours went really quick. Indeed, that was it was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Simone Riscala, first hour. Jimmy Aiken with Open Forum, second hour. See you then. God willing, Catholic Answers Live. <laughs>